when we talk about support, we're not just talking about making crisis calls. Reaching out when you're hurting and you're feeling really vulnerable is strength, not weakness, even though we've learned the opposite. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and uh, I'm with me is, is our wonderful producer, uh, Patrick Newman, and and Mr. 50. It's like 50 years sober, Alan Berger. Yes. Is that right? Today is my anniversary. 50, 50 half years. a century. Started in August in 1971, my journey in recovery. Wow. Wow. Hi, Cece. Oh, good, good morning. morning. Nice chest hug on daddy. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. 50, man, that is, uh, yeah, that's halfway to 100, buddy. That's halfway to 100. <laughs> so halfway there. So this, I got to start the day off. Listen to this, you guys. Yeah. I was invited to speak at an emotional sobriety Zoom meeting that started in September of last year yeah. in Scotland. So I was on I was on the Zoom um, meeting with 150 people from Europe mm -hmm. this morning, a few people from the United States, and they're all there can to I learn about emotional candy? sobriety. What? Can I have candy? Yep, yeah, have this candy. There you go. All uh, right. So 150 people. I got to celebrate. Start the day off by celebrating, and I was telling Patrick. And yesterday I went to this meeting that I spoke at when I first moved out here in uh, Lambertville, New Jersey, and my sponsor, Tom, um, spoke there, and um, he gave me my cake yesterday. Oh, man. I mean, so, I mean, he was there 50 years ago with me, and he's here today. In fact, that uh, he was out with his buddy, Paul, who's here from Hawaii to give him a hand, and they're laying the floor for a gazebo in the backyard. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, so I, I was saying something about that on Facebook. I saw that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah it's so cool. It's so cool. So I look, man, I mean, you know, here I am. I get to be with you guys, two men that I love a lot, with a lot of other people I love, and little Cecilia here taking my candy and sneaking around in the room. And, <laughs> and you know, I mean, my God, man, it's like what a gift this recovery has been. And, you know, it's – as I was reflecting on it today, and even Tom shared yesterday, you know, I celebrate 50 years, but it's not to say that this is, it's just been easy. Because there are moments there's been nothing easy about it. And, and I love what, what our other friend Tom said. I've got a lot of Toms in my life. You do have a lot of Toms. He said, he said, he said you know, sometimes sobriety is about staying clean and sober when it makes more sense to get high. Yeah. Sometimes sobriety, and I'll tell you, I know what that means. I resonate to that deeply because even, you know, in my 20s and when I had a, 
you know, I've talked to you about a bit, Tom, and I think Patrick might know some about it. You know, I, I really, I had a nuclear <laughs> meltdown, man. You know, I threw my life up. I, you know, I created a lot of pain and a lot of anxiety and a lot of, a lot of trauma for myself and other people I love and care about. And, you know, working through that and showing up and digesting that experience and asking for help, because I know that's one of the things you wanted to focus on yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. Is, you know, you know, one of the things that happened at that point in my recovery was I stopped taking care of myself. I stopped reaching out and asking for help. I stopped doing my own work. And maybe it was an unconscious thing or whatever, but I got so so involved in my practice and helping other people, I forgot what's the golden rule here, right? Sharpen the saw. If you're going to keep sawing, you better use a sharp saw. Mm-hmm. It saws a lot better if, the, if all the teeth are sharpened, right? Well, right. I was as dull as could be. I wasn't sharpening my saw at all, man. I was working 12-hour days. You know, I wasn't taking the time to exercise. I wasn't eating great. I mean, there were so many things. I stopped attending meetings. I thank God I didn't drink during that time. But I really, really created an incredible personal crisis in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started to digest it, learn from it, process it, wake up sometimes in the morning, you know, in a panic attack, laying in a pool of sweat, wondering how is this going to all work out? I had no idea. You know, once again, right. when you're in the middle of something like that, I had no idea what the outcome would be. And I, I know today that the, the work I did at that point helped me deal with some of my trauma in my childhood that I didn't address. It helped me understand myself more than I've ever understood myself. And it helped me become such a better person and therapist and author because mm-hmm. I really, you know, somebody once said Dr. Berger's writing is like turning over the rocks and, and looking at the little roly polies that exist underneath the rocks. Right. <laughs> and I swear that was what I did at that point in my life. It's like mm-hmm. I started turning rocks over and looking at what was underneath them. And there were a lot of little creatures in there. <laughs> That right. were moving around that I hadn't been addressing, that I hadn't been talking about, and that I hadn't. And you know, and you know, and I think this is such an important topic. You know, you don't need to to light a fire and melt everything down in your life to get to that point. You know, you know, don't follow Dr. Berger's lead on this one. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can learn to start asking for help beforehand. But you know, I'll tell you, one of the things I didn't address, Tom, is that what we've been addressing on the Thursday nights is my self-hate. I believe my self-hate limited my response to, to caring for myself. Right. And that, well, it, it's such a it, it's so normalized in, in its in its many forms. I mean, because sometimes I think we, I think one of the things you've done a good job with with the with the self hate on Thursday night is is helping to helping to show all the different forms that it can take. And maybe we can even talk about that some more. There is is the yeah, um, because it's not just always it doesn't everybody doesn't you know I always talk about that because that's I've 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 
discovered blatant self-hatred in me as I, in my recovery. It's, it, it's in a weird way. I, you know, I'm fortunate in that way because it was very obvious. It was like, I'm not fortunate to have it. I was fortunate to, that it was so clear, but, uh, but it can be so subtle and it can be, and, and, the, and the reason we don't go all the way there is because it is our norm. It, we have normalized it. It is, you know, and we actually more people than not in my, my experience working with that, uh, see that as their, their motivation. You know, when you start talking about saying we're going to, ch- and what about if we change this, this self-hatred, this, this self-condemnation and what people do is I'll, I'll ask them what, what scares you about that? And they'll, they'll, and I know what scares them because I remember, you know, my should monster saying to me over and over again, if you, if you don't have me, you know, to light a, light a fire under your ass or hang a carrot in front of your face, you're not even going to get out of bed in the morning. And it's like, and that would scare the crap out of me because people, and so the idea of saying we have a better, I say, you know, that yes, that will motivate you. That will, but it's like a really dirty fuel, you know, it's going to ruin your engine. It's like, it's like, there are better ways to motivate. There are better ways. And it's really a hard thing and really scary. And, and connected to that, one of the things I want to say to people listening is as we talk about this stuff, as, 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 especially I think as you and I, as, as, as old, old guys here, it's want people to know the, the best insights are, are hindsight. They come in hindsight. We don't know. We don't, when we talk about this stuff of like, when I worked on this in therapy, when I tell a story about how I became enlightened in working in therapy, or so often I talk about my couples therapy and how much this couples therapist helped me to wake up to, to, you know, how to be a better man, how to be a better, better husband. It's like, I didn't know that was happening at the time. You know, I, more times than not, you know, my, my, that therapist died during the COVID year. She wasn't COVID. She died from, but she had been ill for a while. And I got to talk to her daughter and I told her just how much Mary Elizabeth had helped me to be a better person. And, and I also said to her, and I was mad at her most of the time, you know, because, because I wasn't, I wasn't celebrating the wisdom I was collecting in that, in those moments. I was, I was going, I was, I was in the thick of it. You know, it's like, I, I was, you know, you can't, I couldn't see the big picture from where I was. And so I want people to know that, that for you, like when you're talking about going through those hard times, you know, and, and being grateful that you, that you made it through and that you, you know, you didn't pick up, you didn't drink, you didn't use, uh, it is, it, it's, it's, a, it, you know, we can celebrate the miracle of that and hope and, and learn the, learn the lessons, but know that, know that there's no way that you necess- are necessarily going to know what you're learning while you're learning it. I could have never, even with the background and training I've had, I could have never forecasted the issues that would have surfaced through that whole process. Right. I mean, I would have never been able to put my finger on the points in terms of these are going to be some of the themes that are going to show up in the work you're doing. And what you're saying is very important is that there, that, that if you can find a way to have faith in the process and at those moments where they seem to be the darkest of the dark, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and where you feel like no light's ever going to shine through again, if you could just find a way to put one foot in front of that other and walk mm-hmm. through that. What you're describing is you can't do it without other people. 
and it's not just one other person, but, but you, you know, you can't do it without other people's perspective. And that, and that doesn't always come in the form of people saying, let me give you this feedback, or I need to ask you for this feedback. Sometimes it comes in that form, but just being in rela- support of support system, being a, people that you are getting to know that you are letting in that yeah. you are, that you are be that you are both it's reciprocal that you're being helpful to and, and, and being helped by them. It's, in those relations, in relationships like we have even now, if we took a pop test and said, okay, what has Alan Berger helped you learn as, as through the last year and a half as, as you worked with each other so often, those things just emerge from the relationship. When we talk about support, we're not just talking about making crisis calls. Reaching out when you're hurting and you're feeling really vulnerable is strength, not weakness, even though we've learned the, the opposite. And, you know, and we want that stuff too, but we want to know, and that's, that's one of the things I love about, and I hope that anybody who's listening, who finds something to connect with here, if, if you haven't already join us on the Thursday meeting, because it's such a, it's such a good example of, of, I think there's just so many examples of connection there. I mean, certainly that I, that I have gotten, I was, I was texting this morning with, with, with Roger you know, you know, made a new friend, you know, that, that, you know, I love the idea that I'm 67 making new friends. I've just learned some things from him. And, 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 and we, sometimes it's just about, you know, like you and I do, we banter. But look, what you're, what you're bringing up here is something you're really, you know, illuminating something that I think is important is help also comes in having relationships with people and in being willing to have that connection, allow that connection to influence you. Yes. You see, it, it's such a subtle thing and a nuance about, about being helped is that is, is letting yourself be open to an experience with someone to let them matter in your life. And, it, and it's so, I, I think what you're saying, it's got so much importance here because you're right. Everybody focuses on that time when you're in major crisis, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, even when I look back at that period of time that I was now heading for, you know, my, it was my, I was on my Titanic and heading for the iceberg. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody on board the ship. I mean, I played tennis yeah. with my good buddy, Damien. And I, Roger was in my life, but I didn't talk to Roger very personally about anything. We would talk about a client and stuff like that. Didn't open up any personal issues at all. In fact, my buddy Russ, who I played music with, he says, you know, Al, I'm so glad you're having this trouble. And I go, thanks, Russ. <laughs> what the hell do you mean by that? He okay. said, because you never let me help you. You never talked to me about what was going on in your life. And now you're open to being right. to my input, to my love for you and my caring for you. And I never experienced that before. So what you're saying, Tom, has so much wisdom is that is there a way, and for our listeners to pay attention to this, is a way that you're living a lot, your life right now where you, even though you've got people around you, you're isolating yourself. You're, you're that's keeping, a that's a really good point that basically just because you're in touch with people does not mean you're not isolating and and the other point i want to say because i just jotted it down too is is just let let pain be a motivator but we have a long history of developing great coping skills so that we let we know a lot about how to escape pain as fast as possible 
you know, through through whatever addictive process we're, we're involved in. And so the idea, and of course, you know, it's, it always seems insane when we get involved with when people first, we first get involved in a, uh, and, you know, or, they, or people now get involved with us and, and we are saying, you know, it's okay to feel that feel just sit, you know, basically sit, sit, sit with that pain, see what, see what that is about, you know, write about it. So to, let's talk about it again later. You know, that kind of stuff we're, we're in no hurry. We're not suggesting, Oh my God, you're in pain. We got to get you out of there right away. It's like, it's, it's really counterintuitive, but it's like what you're talking about there is without that pain, uh, and it's not the only thing that, be, you know, dissatisfaction is what begins motivation, but pain is a very powerful form of that. And if, if we will, if we will let it be, if we think about that, reframe it consciously, you know, put a note up in your, your, you know, on your, in your bath, on your bathroom mirror that says, says that pain, pain can be a motivator, let pain be a motivator. And it's like, you know, not just to get out of the pain, but to, to see what you can learn and what, how you can be, how you can not just feel better, but be better. Yeah. Well, listen, that part is really important. And I'll tell you, man, you just opened up another dimension of today. While the pain can be a motivator, it can help us grow. If we can make ourselves available to our relationships, they can also be a source of that growth without even the pain. You know, I was just thinking is that if I am totally present in a relationship and I can use my relationship with you, with Patrick, mm -hmm. Roger, with mm -hmm. a lot of people that are in my life today, with Tom, my sponsor. Mm -hmm. There's two components to that presence that, that makes the relationship, I think, of value. One is, is to be accessible, meaning allow what you say to me to matter in my life and to influence me. Mm -hmm to take it in, to look at it. What is the relevance? How does what you're saying reverberate within my soul? What meaning? And like you said, if you and I look at our relationship over here, I can make that same list you could make. I can mm -hmm. make a list on how you've helped me, mm -hmm. both directly and indirectly. Mm -hmm. I mean, times when I've turned to you for some advice, for mm -hmm. some counsel or counsel and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but also just in our wrapping together, I walk away mm -hmm. with stuff that makes me more than I am before I before we have the interaction. So right. being willing to be impacted by what you're saying, allow myself, allow you know you to have access to me by by opening that door. And it's being willing to express what that means to me. Yes. See the other side of it is acknowledging it and having a dialogue sometimes about it like we do. You know, so it's so interesting that that's the other form of change is just through the natural value of a relationship like you were saying oh, now okay now we're having we're like having this little pin pinball uh insight uh, thing going on here now because when you said that i just realized people often will miss at least for a little while misunderstand that we're saying to them don't care what people think don't care what people say it's like and we're not saying that it's like it's like what we are saying is don't don't you, you don't need to care what everybody thinks at the same level i don't you know it's like where i used to be this is maybe a difference but you know if the person at the grocery store in aisle four didn't seem to like me that could ruin my day as much as if my wife was upset with me it's like you know i didn't ha i didn't have any there was no gradation there so so we are saying some of that but but most importantly it, we're talking about doing what you call what i this is one of the things i've learned from you is this this the way of phrasing it holding on to ourselves and so as as we 
as we don't take things personally in, in, in the way that we have before, when we are actually able to, and I, you know, I use my little nutshell that says, I respect your opinion. I trust my judgment, you know, so that basically your, your opinion matters to me, but it, but it's not ultimately going to be what I'm, you know, and I may decide exactly on what you said, if you give me a, a thought, but at that point it becomes mine, you know, it's because, Oh, I got that from Alan, but, but he told me about that. And that really fit. See, that's what I'm always asking people to do. And I've heard you say the same thing is try that. Well, we're putting it in our new book. Try it on, you know, put it on. It's, it's like this is very, very subjective in the sense of, of, you know, there's a lot of general knowledge here, but there are but specifically how each thing, each of these little bits of wisdom fit is very personal. And the idea is the stronger I feel as a person, the more I can hold on to myself, as you say, yeah, then I'm more open to be to letting myself be influenced in, with what you're saying, which makes me, which really makes me, uh, it, it scares us. So it'll make us feel like we may be, we, we may feel more vulnerable, but this is the case where we want to let people know that vulnerability is, is, is not weakness, which is what we've, most of us have learned in one form or another vulnerability and, and knowing how and where to express that not to everybody but vulnerability to, to knowing how and where to express it which is that support system is tr tremendous courage it's a demonstration of tremendous courage and tremendous strength alan uh, when you um had that kind of winter of the soul when you weren't present in your relationships and you were in a crowded room and you were still alone like what was what did that process look like for you becoming more present in those relationships and was there like a conscious decision you made to kind of like reinsert yourself oh, no. emotionally and i i made some decisions to to um to cross some boundaries that ended up really being disastrous and i ended up in a lot of pain with a lot of anxiety and um I just, it was the dark night of the soul for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really fell into a very, very dark place for, um, for God that had to be almost a year. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going back to therapy. Um, I ended up doing a lot of work. I was probably in therapy three, sometimes four days a week. I went to a lot of workshops. I went to onsite. I did some work in onsite for a week on this first living with balance in your life. I went to some professional boundary workshops. I mean, I dug into what had happened in a way that I had never dug into before. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was tough. It was painful. It was difficult. I went to Hawaii and I spent, I think, two weeks in Hawaii with my sponsor, Tom, and redid a fourth step and a fifth step mm -hmm. and took an inventory of my relationship at that point with my wife and to see what I could learn in terms of what was missing. And I'll tell you, man, all the same, all the themes that, that were starting to reveal themselves were showing up in whatever I was doing. The themes that were really causing me trouble were being starkly revealed through the pain I was in. Right. Today, now, what this conversation has is that the relationships I have with people are so much more open. I can share what's going on with me, talk about what's going on, be more transparent of what's going on, and not feel like I've got to somehow present this thing like Dr. Berger's got all his shit together. Is that what you mean by integrated? 
Yes, I think that my life is so much more integrated at this point in time, which is the theme, right, that comes up in 12 Essential Insights a lot. And how do we deal with all of those different forces in us? And it's like, you know, I didn't want to acknowledge them. First of all, I wanted my life to be easy and simple. You know, oh, my God, if I just think it, I will be. <laughs> well, guess what? Yeah, yeah. I think, therefore, I am just didn't work for right. me. I mean, I was a legend right. in my own mind, but not in reality, right? Right. right? right. Well, but 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 the but, but there's a there's a uh, you know I'm a, a you know I'm a, I'm a fan I'm a you can't not be a fan of paradox when it comes to recovery. You yeah. know, it's you know to beginning with the first step of if you want to if you want to experience power, admit powerlessness. It's like you know it goes on and on, but the idea of I want my life to be simple. It's like, you know, this is where that, that we, you know, what we talk about is I refer to it as the myth of singularity. It's like your, your life is not, not going to be, if it is, if it feels simple, it's not going to stay that way. If, if you are, if you are absolutely not having a, an accurate ver, view of yourself, like you like you were talking about, it's like, and the truth is, as we sit here now and, 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 I, and I'm with you, it's like there, I, I have a belief that I can be, I can be very grateful for things in my life right this moment. And I have, I definitely have a guy on my committee that his job is to sit there and he's not, he's not, he's not a naysayer. He's not a negative guy. He's just somebody, he's the realist. And he says, he says, he says, you know, you know, you know, what it, we are not beyond that you know, tough things can happen. And what, you know, and the reason we're more, less likely to go into the dark night of the soul is because we're so much faster at responding. And by the way, because of support, maybe this is one of the bigger points we can make for people listening about support, because we're in constant contact and continual contact with people, it's like, I can't slip that far away without somebody asking me, what's, what's up with you? And it's not, it's not your responsibility to do that. It's not your job to do that, but you know, you will do that. If I, you know, if I, if, if I, if I just, you know, if, I, if I'm coming in here every time and, and, and just being aloof or, or being, you know, or if I'm not trying to cause trouble by making you know, jokes, you know, so one of you guys is going to say, Tom, what's wrong with you? You know, and, and I, you know, and maybe the first time I'll say nothing is okay. And then, but, but that's going to stick with me and how, however that goes. But the idea is as long as we're in relationships that are real, then we, we have mirrors in our lives. We have things reflecting us back at reflecting ourselves back as we are. You know, so that's an interesting thing. I think one way of measuring our commitment to ourself is to look at who do we surround our life with? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, who is in my hula hoop, so to speak, that I'm letting right, right. my world? I mean, like, who are the people that I'm interacting with? You know, what's the quality of their lives like? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so interesting how that can reflect my commitment to myself, my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, right now, when I look at where I was and this all went down in 2004 for me, so that was you know, what's that 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. So when I look back at where I was at that point in time, you know, I, there weren't, nobody was in the hula hoop with me. I was in the hula hoop alone. That was it, man. Everybody else was on the outside. I had some people outside that hula hoop, but I didn't let anybody inside that inner circle, mm -hmm. right? There was no one in that inner circle. Today, when I look, you're in the inner circle, Patrick's in my inner circle, Roger's in my inner circle. Mm -hmm. 
you know, many of the people on the Thursday night meeting, I've let Tom Potash has mm -hmm. moved into that inner circle mall. Mm -hmm. Patrick, Kathy, there's a bunch of people that have started that circle, first of all, has gotten a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. I let into that. And mm -hmm. there's still, you know, there's concentric rings. Some people are in the, right. the inner, inner circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's other oh, ones. I love I love that image. I, I use it with with people all the time where uh, because I because I like to draw on the blackboard. And now that I'm back at the office, sometimes I get to draw on my blackboard. It's it's uh, uh, but it's that concentric circles for relationships. The idea of, you know, and helping people realize that, you know, because it's a beautiful way of helping people realize your expectations of them and of yourself differ depending on where they are in those circles. I you know, I don't have to keep every relationship I have you know, crystal clear, but there are the ones that are in closer in those, in those, those closer to the center circles. Uh, and it's beginning with starting with, with my wife. It's like that, that those need to be, I think I tell people, it's like, there's a pipeline between us and how clean do we have to have that? It's like, like, well, the closest ones we really need, we keep it really clean because it can be a real problem. It's the other thing is we could know somebody, you know, I I, I can, you know, I, I got, I know a couple of people that basically if somebody's going to have a party and I'll say, Hey, well, so-and-so going to be there because they're fun. It's like, you know, there one guy I'm thinking of in particular is as narcissistic as the day is long, and and I, you know, and I wouldn't I wouldn't bring a personal problem to him if I, if, I, if I needed to, but I like him. He's a good he's he's not he's not a malignant nostril. He's just a very selfish focused person, but he's hilarious. He's fun and he's kind, and so I like him. That's a, that's perfectly good for that expectation of that relationship. Yeah. So, so now I'm imagining all your friends that are listening to this podcast are going, God, is he talking about me? Is he talking about me? And, and I'll tell and you, here's the, and here I'll answer that right. now. Yeah, well, yes, I am. No, but I, what I was going to say, if you're, if you're even able to consider that he's not talking about you, you're not. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> right. I mean, right. it's a narcissist that, oh no, he couldn't be talking about me. <laughs> right. Right. No, no, that's true. That what you'd be doing, you'd be doing is going like, oh, I know. Now you might, you might I know, know, who, I know who he's talking about. <laughs> that's the, the narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom, when you're, when you're parsing, um, you know, you made the distinction between, uh, a, an opinion from somebody else and then your own judgment, mm -hmm. when you get an opinion that fucks with you and, uh, mm -hmm. really starts to either give you these feelings of anger or self-loathing, uh, you know, has, are there any, uh, insights you've come to over the years of like walking yourself back from that ledge and kind of like deferring to your own judgment. And I guess the part of the, the side of the coin, mm -hmm that's leaving what's not helpful rather than absorbing what is. Oh, I love, cause I love that, that, that. That's one of the slogans in AA I love so much. Take what's helpful, leave what's not. Well, the first, the first step is just, uh, you know, and, and, and hold, hold me to hold me to the fire here. If I'm, if I'm missing the, the best answers, but it's, um, the first, the, the first thing I do is what I've eventually began to do with my clients, which is after I am aware of the opinion, whether that actually it's the same thing, whether it comes from somebody on the outside or somebody who is my own in, inner saboteur. If you say something to me, Patrick, that is very direct and negative, uh, it feels bad to me. Then w one of the first things I want to do actually myself is, is ask myself the question, okay, what do you think, Tom? Because that's a lot of times what we don't do. We don't we don't say you know what 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 is my opinion, you know. One of the, the other thing is I very often if somebody says something now, 
I don't like anybody, especially somebody I care about. If you're, if you're upset with me about something, or if you don't like, you're telling me there's something about me you don't like, it's like, I'm not going to, you know, this, uh, to me, emotional sobriety doesn't mean I'm not going to give a shit. It's like, I'm going to be, I'm, you know, I'm going to be at least d disappointed that that's the case. Even if I decide, I don't think I, you know, I don't think there's something here that I have, to, I need to change for myself, but more times than not, if something is very sensitive to me, there's probably something for me to look at. Yes. It's, it's like, you know, if, if, you know, the idea is if you, if people say something or, or I hear something or, or I interpret something that feels insulting to me in some way, it's like, uh, it's, I'm not going to feel insulted by things that I don't, I have, I don't have any problems with, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, if, if it's something that, that, um, if you if you make a reference, you know, this may be off the mark, but if you make a if you if you make a reference, you know, and how how much I, how slow I am, how procrastinating I am, how disorganized I am, it's like because I mean I I, I will try, I will respond to that stuff because I want to I want to I want to you know get along in the world, but it's like I'm not going to pick any of that stuff personally. It's not going to hurt me because I don't have any of my self esteem invested in that. It's like now, you know. But if I get the feeling that you that you see me as somebody who doesn't care, you know, or if you feel like I if if you said something that made me think that you you feel neglected by me or or disrespected by me and something like that, then I would want to do more than just what I think. But because you're a, you're a credible person in my life, then I would want to say, okay, I need to take a look at that and maybe need to have that conversation first with you. But maybe I would even need to have it with somebody else. I mean, sometimes I, if I'm having trouble sorting through, that would be the where we go to our theme today, which is get somebody else, get a consultant in there, somebody, somebody that, that I can bounce this off of. And it can uh, I had somebody do that with me just 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 yesterday, call me and just ask me about something. And she ran ran through it. And, you know, and I think it was very helpful to her. And I've been on the other side of that, too. And I was just going like this. This is what I hear. This is what I think is going on. And it wasn't a matter of like I was, she gave me the authority. It's what I said was rang true for her. So she was able to take that on and, and decide what to do next with it. So hopefully whatever thing I would, if I was, if this was between you and me, you know, if I needed to run it past somebody else, I could do that. But I, if my, since my relationship with you is, is important, it would culminate almost always. I think in my practice of me talking with you directly about it. That's, that's, that's a long answer. So I don't know if it was what you were looking for. I think the first step of consulting yourself and getting to the mm -hmm. bottom of, at least as a starting point, what your opinion is mm -hmm. about the issue at hand uh, is a good way to get the ball rolling towards well, something and, positive. And, well, and one thing, yeah, and, and thank you, because that, that helps me kind of flesh that out a little bit more. And, and because what's different in, reco in, in recovery and emotional sobriety is that we actually proactively look for what might be right about a criticism or something that feels negative. You know, we don't necessarily, you know, the, in the old days, I, have, I might have either defensively just shut it out altogether, fuck you, or I might have just accepted it to, you know, fuck me, you know, that it's like that. But neither one of those, both of those are coping mechanisms. One, one is to turn on myself, one is to turn on you. It's like, but the, the, the uh, you know, that's interesting. I, I appreciate you saying that because, because, that is a that is something that I definitely had to learn to do, and I wouldn't want listeners who haven't done it before to think that you know if you don't have a very strong 
recovery voice at this point in, in your process, you, you know, that's what you're going to develop that for, because that, that, that voice is going to be there because that's, that's the one that's going to help us get out of trouble. That's the one that when Alan was talking about his dark night of the soul year, you know, he, he that he had a recovery voice in there as what, and Alan, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but it's like, and, and that, that voice took, took the advice and the guidance and the feedback from other people and you took action. Yes, that's right. And that's, that's your recovery voice. You know, anybody, you know, this is where I always want to say anybody can have a good day on a good day, man. It's right. like, we're going to, we, we're, you know, this is where positive opportunism comes in. We're going to, you know, you, you, if you're having a hard time, uh, go back to the pain kind of thing. It's, it's like, if you're having a hard time, look for, look for what you can learn. What can I learn from this? And most importantly, what can I learn about me? The point there, Tom, and that, that I think I just want to underscore is I think when our curiosity exceeds our need to protect our ego, yes, things start Perfect. to really shift, right? Mm -hmm. now, before, if I'm defending an image of myself that I have to be this way to be okay, and it goes mm -hmm. back to where did I put my emotional center of gravity? Well, if I put it in an image or a reputation or whatever it is, then I've got to have that or else it threatens who I am. If I let go of that, as you said, if I become more interested and curious and, hey, is there anything of value here now? You know, the way I've said it is I'm letting the best of me run the show mm -hmm. instead of my ego. This is my recovery voice, my commitment to to being, you know, as we've been talking about Thursday nights, my commitment to developing the best possible attitude I can have towards my life. And that is, is to weigh feedback, sift through it, take what fits and let go of the rest. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. You've just, you've just introduced me to, to another uh, version of a, of a committee member for myself. I've realized not, not, he's not new. I just realized I've just kind of named him is I still have all these years later, you know, into my, into my recovery. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, this is the good side of procrastination. I always say like, I've, I have, I have so far procrastinated my next drink for 35 years. You know, it's like, I just haven't gotten around to it one day at a time, which is somebody pointed out to me, said that is the, the appropriate use of, that's what one day at a time is, is appropriate use of procrastination. It's like, but, but the idea is I have, I still have the guys on my committee. And one of them, I think you and I may have talked about this in some version recently. It's like, is, is, I have this, this guy that is just a reflex excuse maker yes. and he starts making up stories immediately when I, you know, you know, I heard, I heard from, from, from our friend, uh, Michael McGee this morning, because, and I had warned him that I was, because I was, I'm writing an endorsement for his new book. And it's like, and, and I, and he's, he's very organized, unlike me. And, and I asked him for a deadline and he, um, well, this is actually a good story to develop to show, show how this works. It's like, like he, he asked, I asked him for a deadline. He didn't need a deadline. He, he, you know, uh, but I do. Cause if I'm like toothpaste, if you don't squeeze me, nothing, nothing happens. It's like, so, so he said, how about the end of this, this month? And it was July. That's why I, te I texted you and asked you if you'd done yours because, cause I needed extra motivation. I figured you had, and I'll that, that light a fire for me. It's like, and so end of the month was, was yesterday. I, uh, so today I, I knew I was, I had it on my, on my book to do. I, I got to write that. It's, um, he, he, uh, emailed me and just very kindly said, just checking in with you, see how that, that's going. And I wrote him back and said, 
said, uh, you know, it's like, well, today I, I'm a day late from the deadline. So that means I will get it done now. It's like, it's like, and that's just the truth about me. But before that, the re the first guy that spoke, as soon as I saw his email was, was the little story maker, you know, you know, you know, well, it was my, I think my dog got hurt or, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I twisted, I fell in the duck, duck pond again. I never saw it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. It's like, like, you know, but it's amazing to me that it's, it's like, I I'm able to most, for most part, look at that guy with what I call the quiet defiance, you know, where, you know, it's like he speaks and says, okay, tell him this. And he, and it's, you know, and you guys have this guy, I'm sure you do. It's, it's like, like, yeah, I still have fully, to deal with them in recovery. Yeah. They're fully formed subject. I mean, I'm fully formed stories immediately. These guys are, if we could as writers, for instance, all three of us are writers. If we could tap into that kind of creativity, you know, it's like, I mean, this takes them that long to write a story and they have, they have all the details. And so I, I try to greet them with what, what I call quiet defiance, which is to just, you imagine somebody just start talking to you, you know, sitting to my right. And I, and I just stop for a moment and just look over at them and then go back to what I was doing. Just sort of like, like, you know, just like, Okay, now what were we talking about? Because I want people to know too when they hear about all these guys we're talking about in our heads is that is that that they don't go away, but we change our relationship with them. You know, I always imagine my alcoholism. I call him Tequila Boy, sitting in the corner with a. Uh, you know, it's interesting that your you know your sponsor Tom is from from Hawaii because I, I always picture him in a Hawaiian shirt with a, a, a Hawaiian lei around his neck and right. and an and an empty yeah, martini glass, right. empty yeah. martini glass. You know, he always wants me to fill his glass, but but I haven't done it. <laughs> I told you guys about my, my old friend, Wellfelt on a podcast in the past where, where we were drunk one night and I talked, he said he had seen Don Ho in Hawaii. And I talked him into flying me over and going, going to see Don Ho. Uh, Don Ho was drunker than we were. And it turned out that Kevin who co-wrote our theme song for start right here, you said very well might have been in the band that night That's with Don Ho. <laughs> I wanted to bring up something that we were talking about, Alan, before uh, we begun recording this idea that emotional sobriety, we're not selling happiness necessarily. I, I think the way to think about it, Patrick, and, and I, I'm glad you circled back to that before we end today, is what emotional sobriety about my whole new book about is how do we achieve that emotional freedom? What do we have to do so that we're that our response to ourselves, to our relationships, to life, especially when we don't live up to our expectations or somebody else doesn't or life doesn't, how do we best respond to those situations? As Tom said, when everything's going my way, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It's yeah. those moments as soon as now I'm at cross purposes with reality. Reality is not what I think it's supposed to be, or you're not who I think you're supposed to be, or I'm not who I think I should be. Mm -hmm. What do I do? How do I meet those things? And I see emotional sobriety as getting aligned with the reality. And in that alignment comes our freedom. You know, it big part of this was talked about in AA is acceptance, which I buy it. I don't buy the way acceptance and we'll get into 
this because it's coming in one of the chapters that we're going to be digging into. Mm -hmm. I don't buy the way that acceptance has been talked about in the mainstream in AA on page 417. And we'll go into that later. There's a part of that. The first part of it, I totally agree with, you know, life is as it is, right? It, reality is what reality is. That part I buy, but that everything is perfect in God's world is where I have trouble with using that idea to cope with reality. So we'll get into that. And that's, and I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to come across as counterculture to anyone in terms of this idea and stuff. If that works for you, keep using it. Go right ahead. I've had problems with that. There's limitations to that way of, to that philosophy that I've struggled with. So for me is freedom is something that sets me free to respond in the best possible way to any situation I'm in. That's the freedom I'm looking for so that I can digest, as Tom was saying earlier, whatever, whatever task life sets in front of me, I can find a way to meet it and digest it and take from it that which is going to grow with grow me and leave the rest behind. See, it's that process. I almost think about it as that in some way we learn how to chew up life and digest it better. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if, if we if we if we relate it to the biological process of digestion, you know, we got to chew things up well. I'm I'm not great at this, man. I I swallow my food. I don't think I chew anything. I think, quick story about that. So in boot camp, right? So, you know, you're physically probably training at least eight hours a day. And I'm talking about major efforts being put out. I'm, I'm probably burning, you know, thousands of calories every day. So we line up our platoon. You know, we're all having a stand at attention, no talking. And we go into to the mess hall and we've got our trays and our food is put on our trays. No talking. It's all silence now. Mm -hmm. You go and you lay your tray in front of the table. Everybody's standing. As soon as everybody's served, then the drill instructor says, ready, sit. And everybody sits down. Ready, eat. And you start eating. If anybody says a word, everybody has to stand up and leave. And you cannot touch another bite on your plate. Now, when we hit the mess hall, I'm starving. I'm famished. So when they say ready, eat, it's almost like a game show. How much food can you get in your mouth? Because you know some idiot's going to say something like, God damn it, this, this stuff sucks, right? They're going to say something like that. And you got usually, if you're lucky, you've got a five-minute window. You know, sometimes it was less than a minute. So as soon as he says, ready, eat, my face is in the plate, and I'm going, <laughs> I'm trying to get as much food in my mouth and swallow as much as I can within, because I don't know if I'm going to have five minutes or a minute. And that, and that behavior has persisted into my adulthood. My kids look at me and say, Dad, nobody's going to tell you to get up and eat here. <laughs> get up and stop eating that's there's right. no drill instructor in the room that's that, that that's great now patrick I, and anybody who's young who's listening to this i, I would say this i just realized too alan tell me if this is true and i know we got to wrap up here but but it's like the um 
one of the guys we have on our committee and when we were old guys is, is the guy who's just in charge of telling stories about our past. And we have a whole lot of them that we believe that we want to tell and that, that we, we like to tell they're good, they're good stories. And so one of the things that happens, it's really hard. You imagine how often both of us have done that today where we stop and say, let me tell you this story. It's like, um, it's, but I want you, I want everybody to know that Alan and I both have a very good gatekeeper in our heads who every single one of these conversations probably, probably says no to, to, to a dozen stories that show up for us to tell. Right, Alan? It's, it's, it's like, like, it's like, oh, oh, you know what this is? It's, it's like, <laughs> no, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. <laughs> I, you know, I, I show up and, you know, I, I go to share. I was invited to share this morning. I got 25 minutes to speak. And I told Graham, who's the MC in the meeting today, I go, Graham, I just did the math. So that means I have two minutes for every year in my life. <laughs> I, I, no, I have less than that. Yeah. I have a, a minute, not even a minute, a half yeah, a minute. Yeah. I did the math wrong. Well, but yeah, but you don't remember, you, you don't, your memory's not that good. So don't worry about it. It's like, right. I mean, I had, <laughs> I had, I had 30 seconds for every year of, of my recovery. No way. Can I do that. But look, the, the point I was trying to make is that if I just swallow life whole, I don't yep. digest it enough. I don't process it enough. I don't, I'm not able to then participate in my life, but if I chew it up, if I really am able to, to really let myself experience. And look, we talk about this all the time. So many of us have alienated ourselves from ourselves, meaning not wanting to feel what we feel. There's no way I can digest my experience. Right. It starts by being open to trying to embrace some of these things that I've avoided, that I've run from looking at, that I avoided facing about myself and my experiences, like I said before, and even in relationship with Tom, is being accessible, being mm -hmm. allowing the relationship to have an impact on me. Now, before I didn't do that because I wouldn't know how to manage a relationship if it had that much intimacy. So I had yes. to shut down my accessibility. Mm -hmm. Don't need to do that, thank God, one day at a time. Today, I don't need to do that like I did Amen. today before. And, and with that spawns the kind of relationships we've been having through these podcasts. And yeah. And I thank you guys for being an important part of my support system. Me too. Me too. I'll tell you, Tom, this, this, this thing that we started a year ago when COVID started and we started to sit down and then we invited Patrick in and then we started to do that Thursday night meeting, which, you know, you were supporting me every step of the way with mm -hmm. every one of these things, man, it's, it's really meant a lot to me. Thank you. Absolutely. And I'm, and I am looking forward to you and I, and, and, and hopefully Patrick too, get, getting on the road, get, getting out and doing some stuff when, when in person. We're getting closer to that. We just got to get past this next little, little bump in this COVID thing and, and hopefully yep. we'll do that and get on our way. So we'll see everybody next week and we'll, we'll pick up the questions you had. This was kind of a little detour to today on celebrating my 50th and just kind of reminiscing with you guys about that and sharing some things about emotional sobriety. But next well, week, it all, it all fits in with your book, though, buddy. Well, it all does. It really does mm -hmm. directly and indirectly. I think next week we might visit uh, waking up from our sleepwalking. I like that. That's that's right on time.
All right. Well, happy call, 50th, call, Alan. Call, call, me, call me Sunday morning to wake me up for that. So <laughs> thank you. Until thanks, next guys. time. Peace. Take Peace. care. Change your life. Change your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me.